Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Kat Jarman, and this is Gone Medieval from History Hit. Today, we're once again going to be talking about the Viking Age. In 2015, human remains were discovered on the northeast coast of Papa Westray in Orkney. Soon became obvious that these graves were, in fact, the remains of Viking Age burials. And not only that, one of them was a very rare Viking boat burial, and a second grave was richly furnished with weapons, including a sword. Of course, the big question is who these people were and where they came from. Now, Historic Environment Scotland has just announced that work is starting on the analysis of these two graves, which means we might finally get some answers. We're going to bring you updates on that project as soon as we can, but for now, I wanted to find out more about the original burials and excavations and this really very extraordinary site. It's special not just because of the finds, but also because the graves were found right underneath somebody's house. So today, I'm delighted to be joined by Fieldwork Project Manager Lindsay Dunbar from AOC Archaeology Group. So, welcome to Gone Medieval, Lindsay. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, I'm really excited to hear more about this grave. Obviously, the main discovery was made uh, a few years ago, and uh, you were actually part of that team that oversaw and managed. In fact, you managed the excavations, didn't you? Yeah, I was the sort of project manager for when the project first arrived on our desk, and it was done over probably four separate excavations and I was lucky enough to be involved hands-on in three of them. So it was an interesting project from start to finish. Fantastic, I'm very, very envious. But before we go into the actual burials, I was hoping you could just sort of set the context a bit because uh, some of our listeners might not be that familiar to the location. Can you just describe where the site is for me, sort of geographically, and why that's quite unique? Right, yeah, the site itself lies on the Orkney Islands, which are to the north of Scotland, the Scottish mainland. And when you get to the Orkney Islands, you're looking at a series of smallish and largest islands. And the one that we were on was Papawestri, which is actually one of the northernmost of the Orkney Islands. And it lies close to the larger island of Westry. And Papawestri, I think there's only a population of about 60 people on the island. And there's only ferry crossings twice a week. So uh, it's not easy to get there time-wise and it's not easy there to get equipment. And obviously on the island, you're quite limited with the materials you've got. So... There was quite a lot of pre-planning involved to make sure we had everything with us that we needed for the works. And then when you get to where the actual site is itself, it lies on the, would be the eastern side of Papa Westry. And it has amazing views across to another smaller island, which is called the home of Papa. And where it sits on the home of Papa, you can see those three chambered cairns, Neolithic chambered cairns there that you can see from exactly from where our site is. And the site itself it lies on top of a large sort of north-south aligned sand dune right on the coast. So on what you can imagine on one side, you've got maybe a six, seven metre drop down onto the seashore. And then you have this sort of flattish, sort of 10 metre wide plateau. And then inland, the ground falls away by a couple of metres again. And it's on top of this ridge that there was a 19th century farmsteading. And effectively, that farmsteading was uh, renovations to that property were the reasons that we were called to site in the first place. 
So it's really quite a spectacular location by the sound of it. It is amazing views, like I say, of down onto the seashore and then across to the home of Papa as well. So you can see all these monuments, which are sort of early Neolithic, most of those. But yeah, it's quite an archaeologically rich area from stuff from the Neolithic onwards. And because of lack of settlement, there's a great number of the sort of prehistoric burial mounds or chambered cairns or standing stones are still in situ. There's also a lot of settlement from that period onwards all the way through from Viking and medieval stuff where you can see the remains all over the Orkney Islands, basically. So these sites, some of these monuments, would have been visible to people in the Viking Age as well, which I think is quite an interesting point. Absolutely, yeah. There's, uh, I think it's like at Mai's Howe, with the Chambered Cairn on Orkney, where they've got Viking graffiti inside, runic graffiti inside the Chambered Cairn. So obviously these... And there's a number of examples of Viking burials where they have buried them on sites of ancient burials, basically prehistoric burials that probably predated the Vikings by a thousand years, 1500 years, even more in some cases. Okay, so let's get straight on to these particular Viking burials. And I know that in this case they were actually found quite accidentally, not as a planned excavation, but by the landowner through some building works. So tell me how that first happened. Yeah, okay, let's say the 18th century farmsteading had, uh, had fallen into disrepair over about the last, I don't think it had been inhabited since about 2000. And there was a couple who was retiring from the north of England and they had bought the property and were looking to renovate it. And Orkney Council were very keen for people to be able to come in and renovate effectively what are dilapidated or ruinous buildings. Because there was very little new excavations to be required for the works, most of it was renovation works, there was no archaeological mitigation put on the, as part of the planning. So the owners started on their works and during some of the building works they needed sand and they went to extract some sand from the far end of the plot and it was there that they thought they'd found some human bones and then contacted the Orkney Council archaeologist. She was able to come out and confirm that they were human but because it wasn't part of the planning condition or there was no mitigation in place, she then informed Historic Environment Scotland and as part of their human remains call-off contract they have a fast response unit that's supposed to be there within 24 hours and luckily at that point AOC were the company that held the contract so we were then forwarded the details and we're up on the island within about well it wasn't quite 48 hours but as quick as we could get there and that was in early 2015. Okay and that early burial though didn't turn out to be a Viking one that first one was actually a quite a bit older wasn't it? Yeah what you're looking at was when our guys got up there onto site the burial had been disturbed by a, a small excavating machine that had dug it. So the first instance was to clean up the site as best they could, establish which bones were in situ, which bones had been disturbed. And it turned out that you were looking at a, a very simple, uh, sort of roughly square grave measuring only about 1.2 metres by 1.2 metres and quite shallow. There was no sign of a coffin, there was no stones marking the grave, there was no stone linings or capstones over the body. It looked like it was a very simple cut into the, the beach sand and then the beach sand replaced on top. The body looked like it was sort of in a crouched inhumation. There was obviously some of the bones were damaged, but it looked like it was an adult male. There was obviously staining in the bottom of the pit where you could see where the body had decomposed. So it was obviously of a fair age. There'd obviously there'd been some disturbance to it previously before. There was no grave goods, so therefore you're just left with the body and it could be prehistoric. There was also the idea that there was a tradition of burying bodies that had been washed up on the shore burying them within just beyond the sort of high tide mark and again giving them a very simple burial especially for 18th 19th century uh, bodies like that and in actual fact we'd been called out the home of Papa which is Iowa just across about two months before that because human bones had been found on the beach there and that was expected the same discussions were had and it, we 
interpreted those bones as having been washed out from a sailor's burial. And it was presumed that we were possibly looking at the same thing with that first burial. But then you've had some radiocarbon dates, I believe. Yeah, since then we have had some radiocarbon dates directly off the body and it's placed it to be 1st or 2nd century AD. So uh, sort of very late Iron Age and predating the Vikings by four or five hundred years. So this is some of that earlier archaeology, but a grave in itself like that, uh, just on its own, can't necessarily tell us that much. However, the landowner, this wasn't the last that he would find on his property, because a little bit later he did some more building work, didn't he, and came across something else. Yeah, a matter of months later, so further into 2015, he was doing renovation works within what he was calling the boiler room, which was a small building at the very end of the setting. And whilst trying to underpin the walls there, he again disturbed some human remains. And we were quickly dispatched back again, back up to the island. And in this instance, we got what turned out to be, although disturbed, it was, seems to have been sort of a classic Viking boat burial. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> very much unexpected. Yeah. So this was essentially underneath one of his buildings or inside one of his buildings, really. Actually, the boat was slight because it was such a small build, small annex building. The actual boat was probably slightly larger than the building and extended out either side of it slightly. So I know the stern of the boat came out underneath where the doorway was into the building. But the steading had quite shallow foundations, hence the need for the underpinning, which is what they were doing. And it looked like that building when it had gone in would have partially disturbed the top of the boat. But... Substantially, the boat was intact under the building, but then obviously, unfortunately, when he'd gone in to do some of the underpinning before he realised it was only the human bone that made him realise it was a burial he was disturbing. He'd spotted the odd nail in the material he was moving, and these were obviously boat nails from, they were the remains of the boat. It was in better condition than we first imagined. So what was actually left then of that boat? How much remained of it? Well, we, basically, it's a wooden boat, so it's like a clinker boat. So most of these ones and the other examples that have been found very little of the boat survives and what you really have is the shadow of where the boat is and the most crucial part of that is the boat nails that held the timbers of the boat together and it's effectively those which then if you can plot out where all these are and carefully excavate down through them if you look at the plan of the nails it will show you the plan of the boat and some of those it's quite impressive because you have the sides of the boats coming up as well so if you can plan it in 3d you effectively have the outline of what was a boat whereas in the ground it's a little bit of staining and then, like I say, the nails. And we recovered about 230 boat nails from it. And the boat itself is probably about five metres long by about one and a half metres wide. There were sort of traces of where the keel was. And then within the boat, the body had placed in a crouched sort of position within the centre of the boat. And on top of the body had been placed a, a probably a leather-covered wooden shield. And all that remains of that is the sort of metal central boss that survived so it was that and the combination of the boat nails are your definite signifiers for a viking boat burial fantastic and there are a few of these aren't there from other sites in scotland do you know roughly how many sort of graves like that are we looking at in scotland for the boat burials you're looking at about maybe 10 i think i'm not entirely sure of the exact figure but i suspect it's about 10 boats that have been found to date most of these were excavated in the 19th century so in terms of recent discoveries, as far as I'm aware, ours is the only sort of 21st century boat burial that's been found. So obviously when it's come for our sort of recording, 
in the field, there's a few bits and pieces that we've managed to do that were open to other, or to the earlier excavations, mostly to do with sort of 3D pinpointing of finds and stuff like that. The methods have come on quite a long way since a lot of those early boats were discovered, haven't they? Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And what's so interesting about this as well, though, is that this burial rite, this way of burying the people, is quite unique to Scandinavia at this point in time. And also, it's quite regional in Scandinavia. So actually, that is showing us potentially some quite clear links. Oh, absolutely. Like I say, that is your classic boat burial. You only really get, as far as I'm aware, I'm not sure that there's any been found in mainland Scotland. I think they're all restricted to the Shetland and the Orkney Islands. So this is definitely a really, really important thing. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Susanna Lipscomb. And in my new podcast, Not Just the Tudors, I'll be talking about everything from Aztecs to witches, Belethgeth to Shakespeare, Mughal India to the Mayflower. Not, in other words, just the Tudors, but most definitely also the Tudors. Subscribe to Not Just the Tudors from History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. I have to say, I feel a little bit sorry for this landowner because I know that when you're doing building work, the last thing you want is to have to have a team of archaeologists come in. But as it happened, even this was not the last thing that was going to come up on this farm because there was one more burial discovered later. Yeah, probably the most impressive of the three in terms of artefacts and preservation was the last burial. And in this one, 
this was the only time where he was doing excavations out with the footprint of the existing building and he had to run a service, I think it was a wastewater service from the house all the way to the far end of the plot to the new septic tank. And it was whilst he was cutting this deeper, narrower trench that in the base of his trench, he got the handle of a sword basically sticking out the side of the bottom of his trench. And when you saw the pictures of it, there was no mistaking that that was a sword handle, which in 20 years of archaeology wow. I've done, I've never found a sword. And he, no, me neither. And he, he, he found one literally two yards from his front door. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. But it wasn't just a sword, was it? It was actually a lot more. When you came back again. <laughs> the difficulty we had here was that the burial was probably about one metre, 1.2 metres below the current ground surface. And it was effectively lying in a sort of two and a half metre wide gap between a very small outbuilding and the actual property, the actual standing steading. So there was some, we had to get a structural engineer involved to ensure that our excavations didn't collapse. They were effectively all cut through sand as well. So that was a bit difficult to organise. But once we managed to get the excavation safely in a safe manner to undertake, you were looking at a pretty much undisturbed burial. The grave cut itself was probably about two metres by about 0.8 metres. And it was covered with a variety of large stones, which it probably would have had a small cairn on top of it, demarcating its location. And under the stones, there was the unarticulated skeleton in a crouched position, sort of lying on his right-hand side. Quite a large adult individual. The preservation of the bones was particularly good, considering it was sand that it was in as well. And you, had, you could clearly see that he was lying with his, like I say, on his right-hand side, his knees sort of tucked up a bit and then his hands in front of him, together up in front of his face. And then the sword, the handle that you'd seen extending out, was actually resting on his thigh, just by his knee, the handle, and then the tip of the sword was resting just on his cheek. So they'd laid the sword across him. And then on top of his right shoulder, there was a shield boss where they'd obviously laid the large shield then on top of the sword. And this was all in pretty pretty amazing levels of preservation from you know other examples I've seen or pictures I've seen of similar age burials. This was quite good and it was obviously, it had been undisturbed. They are really very unique. So you have a boat burial and a weapon burial like this and so well preserved. Yeah. This doesn't happen every day at all. No, no. And there was probably evidence of bits of, in front of the sword, there was a series of possible arrowheads and a knife and it looked like there was possible textiles remaining on those as well. And because we knew there was obviously a sword on site, We'd come up with the head conservator from AOC as well. She was on site the entire time to ensure that everything was done in the correct manner. I know sometimes those archaeologists are accused of just trying to get to the treasure and dig it out quickly to have a look at it. And the conservators are always saying, you shouldn't have done that, you should have done this. So she was on site to ensure that everything was lifted correctly. In the end, we actually had to lift the skull and the sword as one because the tip of the scabbard had fused to the sort of cheek and part of the forehead where it had been resting on the skull. Right, okay. So that sounds definitely like quite a challenge to do. Yeah, it was technically quite difficult and it was quite, like I said, it was quite a small hole and we couldn't extend it out too far because of the constraints of the standing buildings either side of the excavation as well. So it was a, a tricky and uh, time-consuming effort. Fantastic. Now, the good news now that's just come out is that you've got lots of new funding for this new project to actually really investigate these graves. So tell me about the new work that's just starting now. Well, the post-ex is continuing as we speak. So there's obviously this conservation and all the artefacts that came out. So there's a lot of information there that can be gathered. Like I say, there was potential remains of textiles. There was the scabbard itself and then the sword itself. And I know from looking at 
I saw a couple of x-rays of the handle when it first came back and you could tell there's quite a lot of detail and information that can be garnered from that which isn't readily apparent when you look at it in its current condition or its condition when it was lifted. So there's a lot of work to be done with that. I've also been told that with regards to the bodies, obviously we'll do our standards sort of human bone where they would sex, age, look for pathologies or anything like that. But also other stuff to do with like isotope analysis, looking at whether these people are incomers to the island or whether they're part of a mixed population. Yeah basically follow along those lines of trying to work out exactly where these people derived from. Yeah, and that's really exciting because we've now quite recently got quite a lot of new information. There's been some new ancient DNA studies that are showing a mix of migrants coming in, a lot of them from Scandinavia, and mixing intermarrying with the local population that was there before. So so that, instead of seeing as these are buried in a very typically Scandinavian or Viking fashion in there with a the boat and, and the artefacts, then that could be really important, couldn't it? I think that's one of the one going to be one of the key research agendas of the whole post X program. We'll be trying to drive as much information about that as they can. I suppose the only other thing to mention would be is that when we were on site after the excavation had finished of the sword burial, we then excavated the rest of the service track, and there was probably remains of a further two or potentially two cairns also on the site. One directly under the house, the entrance to the house, and then one lying to the side. But obviously because they weren't under any threat from the works that have been carried out and the renovations, they've been left in situ. So we're probably looking at a larger cemetery than has been shown by the two burials that we have. Or the two definite Viking burials we have. I suspect there's a good evidence for the chance of being another two. And given the size of the mound, if there were burials all the way along, you could be looking at another couple on there quite easily. So it could be quite a substantial Viking Age, Scandinavian possibly cemetery, which is essentially sitting right underneath somebody's house. Directly over his house, yeah, or directly under his house, sorry. Yeah. It's one of those ones is that I'm not even sure the people constructing the house in the first instance would have been aware of what they were on. I've, I've done a few jobs where you could tell the burials must have been known about by the people constructing the building. They must have hit them and they just decided to carry on a building anyway. But I don't suspect these guys who built this one were completely unaware of the significance of the mound. It's a beautiful location. <laughs> if, if you're going to put a house somewhere there, it would be a prime spot. And is there any sign of a settlement or a village or some Viking Age houses around there? Or If you look in Papa Westry, there is a couple of potential eroding settlement sites which are undated. Their provisional dates are possibly being medieval, but there's some of those may well be Viking in date. They've just never been subject to excavation. They're recorded as known sites. They're down in the Historic Environment Scotland sort of databases, settlement sites, but they're undated. But there was a very good chance that there would have been associated settlement either close to where we are or at least on Papa Westry. And like I say, Westry itself is only a few miles away. The home of Papa, I think, is maybe one possible settlement site which is undated on it as well. So... Yeah, further opportunities to examine any of those sites, I think we'd throw up one or two that would be Viking in age. That would be fantastic. Well, I'm really excited to follow this project as it continues. And I know that we are going to be checking in with you all and we will hopefully be getting some updates along the way. Is there anything else you wanted to say about it or are you happy to wrap it up there? The important bit, I suppose, is that the fieldwork's really just the first element in what is a really large project and there's so much more information that can be gleaned from the post-ex stage and there's new techniques and developments and research that are happening all the time. So I know there's older sites have been revisited and they've gone back in with more modern techniques and derived a whole wealth of new information and we're lucky enough with our site that there's a lot of different techniques that we can now attempt which I think will bear fruit. 
Fantastic. Well, I can't wait to hear more about that. And I think we're going to be getting some updates from you and your team as things happen later on. So we'll be checking back in with you. But Lindsay, thank you so much for coming to talk to us here today. No problem. It was enjoyable. Thank you. So hopefully we'll bring you some updates on this project in the not too distant future. But for now, thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Kat Jarman, and this has been Gone Medieval from History Hit. As always, do subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Tell all your friends and feel free to leave us a review. And I'll join you again next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gone Medieval. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us out and you'll be doing me a big favour. Don't forget you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com forward slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use the code MEDIEVAL at checkout.